If you're working on a proof of concept which you hope will help you eventually raise funding, it's fine to take a few shortcuts. Use the tech stack you know the best, don't fall in love with your code, and when you start to experience growing pains, hopefully you'll have the time to thoughtfully and carefully identify the bottlenecks and limits of your tech stack applied to the specific industry problem you are solving. Another great strategy is to simply copy the tech stack of a larger company with the confidence that what works for a bigger company will likely work for you. But if you're a company like Uber, there's no larger company to copy. Worse still, in comparison to most businesses, even a few minutes of downtime is pretty damaging for Uber. To successfully deliver a solution like theirs, one must identify bottlenecks and growing pains in advance, find solutions, and deliver the plan in a way that's invisible to customers. In this episode, I speak with Uday Kiran Medesetti, Principal Engineer at Uber, about steps taken in their core state machine design. Uday, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, Kyle. Good morning. Thank you. To kick things off, can you tell listeners about how you got your start in software? So... I got started in software uh, maybe like 15, 20, 15 years ago. You know, I, I think one software is one of the few things that can have a broad impact around the world and it's scalable, right? Like uh, when you build something, the you can immediately feel, see the impact of that in any part of the world. And there's, there's only few things in, in the world that has this kind of broad impact. And the reason why I'm at Uber is also the same thing, because it's one of those things where through software, you can fundamentally change one of the basic human needs with respect to transportation, with, with, respect, with respect to getting access to transportation, access to the things that you need wherever you are. And I think that kind of magic can be delivered through software. Absolutely. Well, it makes sense then that you'd be attracted to Uber. What in particular, though, made you want to go work at Uber? So when I uh, was first trying to figure out, I think five years ago, when I was trying to figure out where do I go next, I was trying to figure out what are some fundamental human needs where the opportunity size is so big. And I was also particularly interested in solving climate change. Uh, and, you know, transportation is one of the huge contributor to climate change. And what I felt was by accelerating the transition to shared uh, mobility, to a fleet of vehicles who can transport people by using th things like Uber Pool, where you can uh, transport more number of people with fewer number of trips. And by transitioning this fleet quickly to electric, then we can completely change how people commute around the world. And over time, we also went into a different kind of verticals like Eats and other things. But when I joined, we didn't have Uber Eats. So all we had was Uber, the rides part of the business. And I think that the fundamental, the, the total opportunity size of transforming this segment around the world was so massive. So that fascinated me a lot. And after I joined, uh, yeah, it was it was a roller coaster right since then. Yeah, there's something about Uber that's interesting in how deceiving the product is. You know, anyone with a smartphone can install it and very quickly set it up and very quickly have a product brought to their home or a, a driver come to get them to take them somewhere. And it all feels very seamless. But uh, it has to be the case that Uber's facing unique scaling challenges behind the scenes. Broadly speaking, what's the technology stack look like? Yeah, absolutely. I think the point that you mentioned, like uh, for a regular consumer, 
it might seem very deceiving right like oh you just click a button a car is coming and in fact when i was first trying to uh, when i was joining uber at that point like one of my relatives said oh it's the app is working fine what do you why do, why do they need you <laughs> what else do they need to solve for but only once you get like you know the the simplicity the, the complexity is all about you know hiding uh, creating a simple interface and hiding all the complexity of making things happen in the real world and uber is one of those tricky scenarios where we are trying to make things happen in real world with users who we don't have full control over and we are trying to make things happen right and that's where the tricky part comes and like the riders might not show up on time there might be traffic there might be rain and all sorts of things we need to account for to deliver that seamless experience every single time and with respect to the core technologies that we live under tech stack you know when i started 6 years ago we were primarily most of our backend was in uh, python and node.js and over time we transitioned to go and java based uh, services we most of our uh, data stores is uh, key value based we were using cassandra and now we have an in-house uh, storage system called docstore which kind of provides uh, similar guarantees for so that's kind of our main language and storage choices that we have so far and we can go into uh, uh, more details uh, through the interview absolutely well, one of the key aspects of that technology stack is the core state machine i know what a state machine is from broadly in software engineering can you describe what uber's core state machine is yeah absolutely and i think so uber's core state machine and the, the the platform that handles the orchestration for all of the ongoing orders jobs and active user sessions we call it inside uber the fulfillment stack and what that means at the high level when a consumer clicks get a ride or get food we captures that user's intent and then we fulfill it by matching it with the right set of providers and for this and to end life cycle to happen we have a set of entities whether it is orders jobs job offers user sessions each and every entity is modeled as a state machine and in a state machine you know in a regular sense like we have a trigger and then the state machine is in particular state it will react to that trigger and figure out which are the possible transitions and in our case we have let's say when a driver begins a trip we need to make sure the entities corresponding to the job and for that particular session go to the right state appropriately and if you think about a basic example like an uberx in that case you know we have a transportation job entity that can comprise of two waypoints and a waypoint represents a location and a set of tasks that can be performed at that location and in a transportation job entity like we can imagine you know there's a pickup waypoint and a drop off waypoint and imagine if you add multiple destinations at that point along with pickup and drop off we might we might have certain via waypoints in between and on the similar side for a provider or for a driver or delivery person who is on an active session they are doing more than one trip at the same time right and for them they have to see all of the waypoints that they have to perform in a chronological order and all of this orchestration is handled by the fulfillment stack making sure okay uh, when you request an order creating the right kind of jobs right kind of waypoints assigning it to the right kind of providers uh, making sure we generate the plan for that provider with the right kind of waypoints and order them in a chronological way adding the right sort of tasks in those uh, waypoints 
you know if you have uh, alcohol delivery at that point for that drop off waypoint we might also need to add a signature collection task we might need to add a proof of uh, id task and those are the things that needs to be orchestrated in these state machines we've bumped into a similar problem you've described it in an elegantly simple way but uh, there's so much to it, even just to say, oh, there's some waypoints along the way. There must be mapping services that are keeping updated about detours and uh, just so many services to kind of fit together. Do you work with like a, a microservice architecture and from that point of view, or is it some monolith? What's Uber's general way of looking at how you connect all these services together? Yeah, so Uber is completely into microservice architecture and uh, we have a ton of microservices across the company, each handling a unique logic, unique logical functionality. And for the fulfillment stack itself, you know, we have the microservices that, that handle the core state machines. Uh, previously, we used to have just two microservices, one for handling all the jobs and one for handling all the supply state machines. And in the new architecture, we have for every entity, we have a state uh, a state machine and we can deploy that in a modular fashion, whether it's in a single service or multiple services. And along with this, we have a bunch of uh, services that handle uh, that consume the events from the state machines and expose uh, geospatial indexing and expose some rules engine and expose some uh, metrics, uh, expose some search interface. So these are inside the fulfillment stack. Outside of this, we interface with microservices from fares, pricing, matching, maps, which handle their part of the whole puzzle and ensure we fit together all of these things to deliver the end-to-end -end experience. So the state of all of those entities, I'm sure there are some interesting challenges about how you store and persist that, that we'll get into. There's also the logic of it, like, you know, a driver who already has two or three passengers can't possibly have more if the vehicle doesn't have seats, that kind of thing. Is that part of the state machine service or is the service a little bit lower level than that logic? So how we try to trans how we try to organize a functionality within Uber is, you know, we think of a layered architecture. The functionality, the business logic that is purely around transforming the particular presentation layer, you know, like even for a rider app, we have API interfaces, we have mobile interfaces, we have web interfaces, and each of them have their own presentation surface, which transforms, which tries to take the data from all the platforms, transform it to that particular user flow. And then we go get into the product layer, in that layer, the functionality is how do we orchestrate across various platforms for, for example, if I want to do a pickup trip, I need to orchestrate across risk, uh, do some risk checks. I do, I need to go to payment, do some payment checks, need to go to some other platform, do some other checks, and then we create the trip required. And once we get into the business platform layer, that's where we have the state machines and we try to minimize that logic inside the state machines to the fundamental things that are needed for the state machine to function. Like, let's say, you know, if we, let's say if I have a constraint that a rider cannot be on a two, cannot be on two trips at the same time, this functionality, like that is essential part of the state machine. It cannot, the rider should not become active until if they, if they're only on a trip, we cannot accept one more trip. So that check should be in the place where you have the state machine logic. But a lot of other functionality that, that does cross-platform orchestration, that does presentation orchestration, 
those are in layers above so that way we try to make sure that you know we have a good reason behind any logic that goes into each layer when updating the state especially in like uh, an uber pool situation where you have a driver with a device and uh, i presume you're still in communication with all of the riders devices as well and they're all probably on you know a shaky connection depending on where you live they might report differences do you face any consensus style problems in building the state machine yeah see ultimately the state uh, especially and like you know that's a really good point right like we are most of uber users are in uh, using mobile devices and sometimes they might be in choppy networks where they might not have the up to date state but ultimately the source of truth is the backend and if they might a single participant in the system they might have a stale view but the moment they have a good like their network becomes active again they will fetch the latest state from the server and then uh, they show the right information you know like in fact maybe a driver has started the trip but a rider phone is currently inactive and the moment they get the network they see that oh the trip is active again the tri- like the rider is on trip uh, so that's when the ride the rider's device will get updated so and at, at a particular instant a given client interface might be stale but the moment the network becomes active they fetch the latest state from the server and the state machine and the storage backed by that is this ultimate source of truth of what is the state for a given user and in case if one of the users who is on a stale state performs any action that action will become will be invalid right because maybe the server has already progressed to a different state and uh, then that request will error out and then by that time the their interface will be updated and they'll know okay this is why uh, this request could not be performed so all of this service has to be provided in real time you don't have any other choice really how does that decision impact the way you build the system yeah so that is a unique asset because we like we have millions of concurrent users who are interacting with our system doing various kinds of operations whether it is you know going online going offline the backend generating uh, offers for particular trips the drivers accepting offers completing trips the riders requesting and canceling trips all of these are real time operations we don't have the flexibility of taking this transaction and then letting you know later about what was the result of that we it, it it's a real time operation the user is waiting on the response from the server and we need to return the response to them whether it is valid or invalid within a reasonable period of time because the user is uh, waiting on that particular action to complete so that means the systems that we built they need to handle high concurrency they need to be real time their latency has to be acceptable the user should not at least the perceived perceived latency from the user point of view they should not have a laggy experience and that makes it really uh, tricky and and the system has to be transactionally correct right like if the, if i begin a trip we cannot we have to be very accurate with respect to at what point the trip has started and what was the time stamp what was the location we cannot and if let's say if we did not record this transaction correctly then the the entire fares will get messed up uh, will not uh, the rider will not see the the rider experience will be messed up so there's a lot of implications if we mess it up and that that means once a transaction has happened we need to make sure that it is consistent from the onwards In my career I've been in a couple of situations where I had to recommend a technology to adopt like a database or something like that 
And, you know, I get healthy pushback where people will say, you know, how do you know this is going to scale for our business? And a trick I've liked to use is uh, what I call the big fish strategy. Find a company much larger like Uber or Netflix and say, they're using the technology. They're 10 times bigger than you. Surely if there's a bug in it, they're going to find it first. Yeah. But there aren't any companies 10 times bigger than Uber. Do you have to collaborate with partners to get uh, onto new technology or to do bug you know, prioritization, things like that? Uh, what's I guess, are there any challenges being a, a leader or at the forefront of pushing the limits on technology? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, that's that's also an advantage, right? Like if we are at the forefront of adopting new things and uh, taking new things, we also will get that level of support from from the partners or from from those teams. And like, I think at least in the last six years, no matter which technology choice that we chose, we would collaborate very closely with that open source team or whether whether the third party provider or whether the company and they would give us the right kind of support because they would also know that you know if we can solve their use case that would be a good proof point for their system as well so you know we have many instances like that where we collaborated super closely with that particular platform team even from other companies and then uh, made sure that we can customize their software to scale to our requirements and can we do a deep dive on some of the requirements? We've talked about it being real time, but you know, there's always going to have to be trade-offs. We have the cap theorem to face and things like that. Maybe you want some sort of transactions or maybe that's not important. What are some of the core features you're looking for when seeking technology? Yeah, so see, the for our core state machine stack and for, for the core storage system, I think some of the requirements that we want to make sure is you know one with with that is availability whether you know whether single zone or single region even if, if there's intermittent infrastructure failure it has minimal impact on availability because ultimately this is one of the core tenant that has to be from uber stack because users are in the real world doing operations like in fact if, let's say if you're on the street trying to go somewhere and if the system is down like then you are standard there so we need to guarantee at least four nines of uh, availability. Uh, we need to have strong consistency and we have operations on a single row, multi-row, multi-row, multi-table. And we need to make sure we, we provide strong consistency within a region and across regions so that even if there's an application failover from one region to other region, we we don't have any user, user uh, perceived inconsistencies. We given we are in and we are not providing one single vertical, right? Like we are building the world's largest super app. And that means we are doing transportation, delivery, and all sorts of use cases. And for every country, that means our programming model has to be, have we mean to have clean abstractions and simple programming models so that we can have good product velocity. We need to make sure we don't have any data loss uh, whenever there's any uh, infrastructure failures. Uh, we need to have uh, support for secondary indices, uh, change data capture. We need to have good latency across. We need to have like uh, good latency SLOs. We need to make sure we, we our infrastructure is very efficient because as we scale our system 10x, every cent that we save is really important because we are in low margin business. Uh, we need to make sure our system is elastic. 
you know, if you think about Uber's workload, it's not steady throughout the day, throughout the week. It, it goes up and down at various points in time, time of the day and week of the day and also month of the year. And sometimes on uh, December is probably uh, busier than some other part of the year and so on, right? And from our maintenance point of view, we need to make sure that we have low operational overhead because we are constantly adding new products, new features, new cities. So we need to make sure that we can operate the entire system in a with low overhead. And I, I know you've gone through a recent rebuild. Can you talk a little bit about the motivation to kick off a rebuild? Were there ceilings you were hitting or was there some other motivation? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this is one of those things which we invested more than two years in this. And we even before we started creating the platform, we spent close to six months trying to understand what should be the architecture that we should invest for the next decade and what are the pain points that we have seen so far so if i were to summarize some of the limitations that we were facing before so one is around consistency and when the previous system was built back in 2014 the entire architecture was built by trading of consistency for availability and latency and then consistency we would achieve as a best effort mechanism so for example since we're using cassandra as our storage now, which was, which is a NoSQL system, which is, which doesn't guarantee consistency, which is, which is, which is more tailored for availability and uh, horizontal scalability. Now, if let's say, but in our system, we have multiple concurrent operations, right? Like a, a rider can cancel and a driver can begin trip at the same time. And at that point, how do you make sure you can handle these two transactions that are coming into the system, which are operating on the same set of objects? So to deal with concurrency, we used a framework called Ringpop, which allowed application-level serialization. So what would happen is for a single job entity, for example, all of the update operations for that entity would be serialized to a single worker. And at that put in the on in that worker, because it was a Node.js uh, application, it had it was a single-threaded execution environment, and we had a queue, uh, a serial queue and an in-memory lock on the object. So then we, that would make sure that at any point in time, we only have one update operation in flight for a given object. That way we avoided the concurrency issues by eliminating concurrency by having this queue. But you know, this is a best effort mechanism. Like, you know, if Ringpop, if you're doing an application deploy, at that point, we might have a split brain where two different workers might say that I own the same entity at that point, we might end up doing updates from two different workers at the same time and then that would end up with consistency issues or it could also happen if you're doing region failovers from one data center to other data center at that point in time since we are using asynchronous replication from cassandra then the other data center might not be the state there is not accurate and then we might be overwriting to a wrong state and that would lead into many complex issues that would be super hard to debug the other thing is around you know, multi-entity rights. Like when we started, the number of multi-entity rights, we didn't have that much back in 2014, uh, 2015. Like Uber pool also was, was a new thing at that point. But if you think about some of the use cases that we have now, where we have like, you know, a batch offer, a driver has to accept, you know, three trips, four trips at the same time. That is an operation on four different trips and a single supply entity, which is like five entities at the same time. And 
then we started exploring a, uh, a pattern called saga pattern which was doing application level uh, transaction orchestration which will make sure okay i do propose on all of these entities and then once all of them accept then i commit all of them basically what we were doing it it end, ended was you know we were doing a lot of you know what we used to think of like you know typical database level uh, uh, functionality at the application layer and trying to overcome the shortcomings of not having a storage system that that would that would support both horizontal scalability and consistency and because we had this layers of logic we also were hitting with scalability concerns you know how ring pop used to function was it was it was basically gossip protocol and it needs to understand who and it was peer to peer membership protocol and then if you had a, a number of if you increase the number of workers in your application cluster then the amount of work needed to make sure all of the workers are in sync with respect to the ownership information that itself was taking a good amount of cpu so then we are hitting scalability limits with the architecture so these were some of the things beyond this you know like as essentially like we at that point you we were in node.js now we are in java and go the language itself like almost all the platforms since then had moved to go and java and this was one of the last platforms that was still in node.js and that was also causing issues for engineers for other teams because it's it's a tax not just on us but also every team because now they need to support node.js environment and that also made it super complex so you have a service then that a lot of people rely on how do you orchestrate the rollout of a new system and coordinate with all your different consumers yeah so i think some you know in software it's it's sometimes more than coming up with the new architecture coming up with the migration architecture is harder you know if it's a greenfield system it's it's always super easy like you know you don't have any constraints you can come up with like the cool architecture that you want but the complexity is always about like we are supporting this 100 different products they have these nuances and they were built like this over the last few years how do we without any user having any impact how do we migrate to the new stack so we spent a lot of time trying to understand all of the product flows that were supported by the existing stack what were the nuances in them and what is the best rollout strategy so we, then we picked a city by city rollout strategy like we we created a so we had a roster of around 150 200 features that were live that dependent on our platform and then we did an intersection of that with all of the uber operational cities then we kind of went from the cities with the least number of features and then cities with the two cities with the most number of features and even in that we first picked one or two cities in each of those buckets so then we can get guarantees then before even we would roll out we had we had set up complex shadowing mechanism so that we can shadow every request response from the primary stack and shadow stack and compare the differences and that also is complex here because you know we if the requirements and guarantees provided by one stack and other stack are different and since each and the output of one operation affects the output of the next operation because it's a state machine right on both sides if one operation on the shadow stack fails the second operation and every other subsequent operation will not catch up so then it will affect how you shadow also so all of those kind of were nuances in how we try to set up the shadowing but ultimately we 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 got to a point where we had a good sharing system that would give us good insights then we went from least complexities to most complexities rolled out feature by feature verified that in shadow environment 
and then rolled out few cities with those features verified that in production and then it took close to a year plus for us to roll out all the cities so i believe you said the original system was cassandra based with the node kind of a cube system what's the new technology based on so you know if we i cannot went through the requirements right and when we were thinking about what should be the system for the next uh, few years we were exploring multiple options whether you know we kind of uh, move do some update like still uh, use nosql but use some other technologies and maybe like not use ring pop and use something else or use uh, sharded mysql or then the other option that we were exploring was nosql and some kind of nosql based storages because this is one of those patterns that provides us both horizontal scalability and also asset guarantees provided by sql kind of databases so we experimented with a bunch of uh, uh, new sql based storage systems cockroach db foundation db cloud spanner and ultimately we used cloud Span- google cloud spanner which was a new sql kind of storage system because it was a managed solution and it, it would give us a faster way to move to new sql at least move the application to a new sql based storage pattern and we had an orm layer so that the application developers don't have to worry about the nuance of storage system but the application developers build in a new sql kind of storage environment and an application build on top of that and we used cloud spanner as the new sql backing device and do you have a good definition or just a working definition for the difference between no sql and new sql yeah absolutely so at least how we think about that is you know if you think about traditional uh, sql based databases um, their main usp was that you get asset properties and you know, most of the e-commerce based system e-commerce systems use that right because if you're using any financial applications you need to guarantee asset compliance for any transaction that happens so then sql based systems relied on relational tables you would have strict data schema and for storing all of your transactional data but they were hard to scale out if you have millions of users and then you would have to think about your own shard like then you have to go with sharded mysql you'll have to manage your sharding strategy and like this a bunch of raw issues with that right and then nosql based databases emerged to solve this kind of uh, scalability issue so but they comprom but they compromise on consistency right like so you would focus on availability instead of consistency and then a lot of key value stores like cassandra dynamodb document shows like mongodb columnar shows like hbase all of these systems kind of emerged that primarily focused on building you know internet scale uh, applications that, that handle millions of users workload with good end to end latency and that was the prime reason why it was the natural choice for even fulfillment stack back in 2014 and in the last a few years or so now we see a new trend with a uh, new sql kind of storages and what new sql based systems provide is they provide both the asset guarantees that sql based data stores used to provide and horizontal scalability that no sql storage systems provide so that was a good you know that was kind of what we needed uh, in our in our new stack so that's why we took the plunge to uh, new sql based storage and what made spanner the ideal choice there's a lot of options out there yeah absolutely so as as i said like we after we went through all the requirements we evaluated various options we created uh, benchmarks and we benchmarked a bunch of solutions during at that point in time i think spanner was the the most scaled managed solution because 
we didn't have any precedent within the company at that point in time of any system using NoSQL based storage. So if we had to take any open source and if we have to productionize within our environment, it would have delayed the overall uh, migration effort. So we had to choose some managed solution because along with this, we also have to change our application. Like we have to move from Node.js application stack. We have to move to a new programming model. We need to change our data model to support a bunch of new features that we needed to unlock in this year and then in the upcoming years. So we have to decouple, uh, like we have to accelerate the application migration. So we needed something that provides a managed solution uh, for new SQL. And that's why uh, Spanner was like, we ultimately settled on uh, Spanner. And within Spanner, they provide both a single region and multi-region. So we chose a multi-region configuration that guarantees three, five nines of availability and strong consistency. We, they also provide external consistency, which is strictest concurrency control guarantee for transactions. They also had other features like, you know, uh, point in time reads uh, and bounded staleness reads. They had or they had uh, uh, deadlocks, uh, the detection for deadlocks automatically and a bunch of other features that we felt were, okay, this, we could build an application architecture around this. And that's why we, we went with Spanner. But one nuance is unlike most common scenarios, in, in our case, we had our application stack running in Uber's operational regions and it would connect to Spanner that is deployed in uh, uh, GCP. Are there any challenges around data center lag or anything like that? Yeah, so and any cross data center request, obviously it will add some additional latency. So we try to optimize at multiple layers. At the networking layer, we work with the networking team from our, from Uber and uh, and Google networking teams to set up the right interconnects, to set up the right redundancy, to make sure that we can have strong foundation there. And at the application layer, what we try to do was to reduce the number of round trips for a given user request. You know, let's say a driver accepts an offer. If that requires, if without optimizations, if that required a read of three different entities and an update to three different entities and begin transaction and in transaction. So we did a bunch of optimizations. You know, we created, uh, we had sessions prepared ahead of time so that when a request comes, we didn't have to prepare a session. Uh, so that would save one round trip. We, for a given user request, we looked at the data dependencies and we used to coalesce the transaction. So we would not do a round trip to Spanner until we needed to store that state even within a transaction. So that way we reduce the number of round trips back and forth. And ultimately our benchmark was the final user uh, level uh, application level latency should be better than what we had before and that way we were getting more transactional guarantees that the previous system was not able to handle without sacrificing the latency and we were able to achieve that with all of the optimizations and like you know we did uh, even payload compression and all sorts of things to reduce uh, to reduce even further at the point when you got it rolled out in the shadow state alongside your existing infrastructure, before you got into some of the performance results, did you have any expectation about uh, what KPIs were going to be important or maybe what improvements you expected to see? See, but at the application layer, one of the main things that we are monitoring was obviously, you know, the availability, not just at Spanner server level, but 
at the from the application layer which is creating and completing transactions because you know we have multiple hops from the application layer we have to go through networking stack and through google front end google spanner front end spanner back end we're looking at the application level availability that the from the client side that we monitor we're looking at uh, latency not just from uh, and latency from both of the uber regions because the networking paths from uber west coast region and east coast region to spanner leader region is different right and the latency that we get from both of these regions is slightly different so then we need to monitor the performance from both of the regions obviously we're looking at the let's say if you have begin trip operations what was the uh, error rate and latency at that layer like from the api that the mobile app used to call because ultimately that is the final uh, api that we would look at so at all of the mobile apis we would look at the error rate availability before and after and also the availability error rate at uh, at the spanner client layer from our application side and also the spanner server level and we would not roll out if we were not getting these if our latency is worse than the previous one or if the availability is worse than the previous one and i also mentioned the shadow stack so then we would also monitor at a property level for both for responses from both primary and uh, shadow stack what were the number of divergences and then we would look at we would only roll out if we have we are confident that all the property divergences that we need to take care of are are covered and we had a high bar for that and as you've gotten past that kind of proof of concept phase and rolled this out more extensively how has that process gone yeah so i think that was probably the most challenging part of the whole project and especially you know if you think about our stack like so the previous let's say uh, a user a driver went online and they are online for multiple like they could be online for multiple hours and if they went online in the old stack their state is stored in cassandra and if they went online in new stack their state is stored in spanner and these are storage systems with different guarantees and different things right and you we cannot have a storage sync across these two systems so we needed to create a migration strategy where we can gradually roll out users and ongoing trips from one stack to the other stack so we built an interceptor that would pin a user session or a trip to a particular stack and then for until the, the trip is completed or until their session is done their request would be pinned to that stack and once they went offline and they came back online then their request would go to the new stack so that way in fact like for some period of time for a given city both the stacks would be operational and then you would see uh, users and trips go down from one stack to the other stack over the next few minutes and hour and this was kind of the migration setup that we did and then uh, as i said before then we went we tried to go from least complexities to most complexities we did in fact even on the ground testing we have we pinned some uh, test riders and test drivers uh, we like when they were taking trips in the real world we monitored each and every operation that was like in, before we did the first uh, city then we did the most simple one simple uberx city which just had few features looked at all the metrics all the error rates all the end to end operations all the bugs all the contact rates from the from that city 
then we kind of progress from that to from one city to uh, cities with you know just uh, uber x plus uh, simple uber eats cities with uber x plus airports cities with uber x with airports and uh, some other kind of features so that way we kind of gradually expanded the feature set and once we covered a good bunch of uh, small cities and big cities with different feature set then we had a scale out phase where okay now we need to scale out 100 cities at once and then we had to build a lot of custom uh, tooling to measure the observability of each and every city at both application metrics and business metrics in the old stack and the new stack like an hour before the migration and hour after the migration and compared and if we see any differences then we would either decide if we need to roll that city back maybe we didn't fix some flow that and we missed some flow and because of that uh, it's causing rider cancellations to go up uh, so we needed to roll that city back to the old stack debug that scenario and then uh, roll it forward in the next batch so we had essentially every two weeks we were rolling out some cities and going through this operational process until we uh, finalized the final set of cities and is the project, do you consider it fully rolled out at this point? Has the old service been decommissioned? Yeah, and right now it is fully rolled out. The old service is fully decommissioned. And now we are 100% on the new stack. And now we are in the process of, now that the first leg for us was to, okay, how do we move all of the existing products that was supported in the old one? And as we were rolling out, we already had encountered some new features that only the new stack could support. So we had a period where uh, if for any new features, they would only go in the new stack and we would prioritize rolling out the cities in which we, would ex we need to experiment those new uh, features. So that way we don't pay, not, not every team pays the dual uh, platform tags and like they don't need to implement in two stacks, they only implement in the new stack. A lot of new features that we could not build in the old one, now we are able to unlock and over time uh, the goal is we want to support you know, many different verticals, not just for transportation, in, both in transportation and mobility, different fulfillment types, different verticals as we go into grocery, alcohol and all kinds of retail, like there's some new fulfillment flows there and even on the mobility side, like you know, uh, you have seen Uber Reserve, uh, it's, it's completely new product that we launched last year that was fully built on the, on the new stack uh, and a bunch of new features that were already built on the new stack that we could not have built in the old stack or we, we had to do all kinds of uh, crazy hacks to even build in the old one. What is it about the new stack that makes it possible to build these features with greater ease? So I think along with uh, all the things at the storage layer, we spent a lot of time at the application layer trying to create a modular programming model that will gives us the flexibility to build different kinds of building blocks that can be used in different features. You know, for example, in the previous one, we didn't have a good way to create new kind of tasks for a particular waypoint now we completely platformize that that component so then now for a waypoint we can attach different kinds of tasks and we can create different kind of task flows inside that waypoint what that allowed is you know if you want to add pin verification task before you begin the trip you know you can easily add that new task and then once one feature team adds that task uh, as a component now maybe risk team wants to add pin verification for some other scenario so they can leverage the same building block in that but in their particular feature so we try to build as many building blocks as possible that can be leveraged across multiple different products so then we have that leverage aspect 
and the modular programming model helps us build these kinds of uh, building blocks more and more so then we create a repository of these building blocks that can be used in different mix and match scenarios and create different product experiences on top well with the platform delivered and the benefit of hindsight do you have any closing thoughts on what the major you know advancements were is it uh, obviously unlocking new features are there scalability and consistency things wins as well? What are some of the main takeaways? So I think one is you know come I think around consistency and like at the infrastructure layer, right? the consistency and scalability. Now we have a platform that is horizontally scalable. In fact, it's a living breathing thing. Like every for throughout the day and throughout the week, the number of storage instances we keep increasing and reducing uh, and it's it is completely auto scaled system which is horizontally scalable to whatever scale that we need and the primary ben- and because we have strong consistency it makes it really easy to reason about the system so, you know in when some things go wrong you know if something has happened that fact is done like you don't have to guess Oh, did the system record this fact or not? Maybe there was some inconsistency because of which uh, this operation did not happen. Now you can look at the system logs and you know for a fact that, okay, if we if this event is uh, emitted, we know that we could not, the system will never be in inconsistent state. And at the application layer, we did deprecated Node.js, we have Java, we have, now we used we can leverage all of the new libraries and frameworks that Uber developer platforms build for uh, Java services. That will also reduce the amount of operational overhead that we had in operating a Node.js service. Now we can leverage a breadth of knowledge across Uber in, in operating the service. And at the application layer, we completely revamped the data model that, that helped us build a lot of new features and a lot more are in the pipeline so that's also a huge benefit i think one more uh, side effect that we got out of all of this was reduced infrastructure spend that at least at the application layer we reduced the number of application workers needed by a lot by a significant percentage compared to the previous uh, stack very cool well uday thank you so much for coming on software engineering daily and sharing your work thank you so much it was nice talking to you kyle uh, have a good day